Sing with us. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we're here today together to worship you. Lord, we pray today that you would open our hearts and open our minds so that we could focus on your message and receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen.
Great. 
God. Please turn and greet one another. Good morning. I want to welcome you to Memorial United Methodist. My name is Joe Kate. I'm the pastor here. We're so grateful that you're here today. Uh, it's fun to be back. I went home uh, to my home church in Rock Hill last Sunday and uh, had a great reception there for their homecoming. Um, I thought it would be smaller. You know how everything's smaller when you go back? Bigger. The place is huge. It's about the physical plant size of our campus. And um, it's neat to be back there, neat to worship. And I appreciate uh, Reverend Dennis Lee and all of you uh, doing the things that I would normally do on a Sunday morning. Things that have changed. Uh, we have brand new seats. Did you notice? Brand new seats with padded backs. You know why? Because we care. <laughs> we care about you. We do. Uh, Dallas Thomas and the trustees have done everything they can to uh, improve our campus all year long. They've done an incredible amount, especially with the McClyman Trust. And um, let me tell you the upsides. This is a quote from Dallas. If you want to nap in the sermon, you can fall asleep a little faster because of the back pad. Serious upside is we can leave the CEP table and the chairs up, and um, that's less breakdown and set up at the end of the service. It's also, I think, if you don't want to walk to your uh, um, chair with coffee and a donut and have them here, and you can sit at the table over there. Um, you're welcome to do that, and it gives us more seating uh, during the worship service, especially with the bleachers over there as well. Another big deal. Those of you who have helped us chase chairs uh, from the entire campus whenever we have a big dinner in here, that's over. We have every chair that we need because of the um, pre-existing chairs and the ones that we bought. Uh, so total upgrade today. We're grateful for that. And that is a perfect lead-in to our first uh, practice that we try to live out, which is radical hospitality. Uh, we do our very best to offer that whenever we can, uh, however we can, digitally, in person, uh, physically, whatever that may be. Uh, so let me give you an opportunity to um, uh, participate in the prayer life of our church. We have prayer cards um, that our ushers have. You can fill out a prayer card. It's um, confidential. It goes to our Tuesday prayer group. Uh, they'll pray every Tuesday morning faithfully over uh, all types of concerns and joys. Uh, and if you would like to do that, you can simply raise your hand now, and an usher will bring you one. Uh, we also have visitor cards um, in the back. You can give us any part of your contact information that you like, and we'll try to reach out to you uh, with the contact information that you give us. Um, we have a luncheon coming up with our United Methodist women. Um, you can sign up in the attendance register as it goes by, just like we do for the dinners. Um, just put UMW luncheon and the number of people that are attending. If you've done that once, um, you don't need to do it. It's Sunday, October 1st at 12 p.m., and next Sunday, the 25th, is the deadline uh, to sign up. Uh, we believe in um, passionate worship. We already described that, um, trying to improve our worship space the best we possibly can. We believe in intentional faith development. Aaron has talked to you for a number of weeks about the um, Spark Children's Book Fair. If you're thinking, oh, that's right, I was supposed to do that last week. If you want to do that, there's order forms in the back by the security desk. There's also order forms in the narthex of the sanctuary. Uh, you'll just need to give her a check uh, with that order form, and we'll get the books uh, within a couple of weeks. That supports the children's program uh, and gives them free books. 
Sunday night program can, programming continues tonight. We've aligned all the age groups uh, for intentional faith development. You've got um, children starting at five, youth starting at five, adults starting at five. Um, uh, adults are in the social hall. Uh, youth start here in the gym, and children start upstairs in the straight room. You can see the fun uh, um, animals on the window up there. Uh, so that's tonight at 5 p.m. If you say, well, I didn't go last week, I can't go this week. Each Sunday stands on its own. Uh, make sure you come if you're interested in coming. Um, we believe in risk-taking mission and service. Uh, we missed our meeting that we would normally have due to the um, storm on Monday, but I can assure you the mission and service team is going to get together very soon and um, describe how we're going to give money uh, to disaster relief. We've shown you how to do it directly, uh, to give online to do that. People have also given to our church in order to give. Uh, we're going to lump all that together, and we actually have an um, a, um, investment uh, called the Strait Burnside Fund, uh, a beloved church member and named after uh, George Strait, and it gives us dividends every year, and we use those to give to mission. And so we'll combine uh, what you give us um, and uh, a portion of those dividends and give a significant amount to um, UMCOR and the like to support people in mission and service. We believe in extravagant generosity, uh, and it's kind of a blend of what we just said. Um, and you can see that section on the back of your bulletin. If you want to give as the plate goes by, you're certainly welcome to do so. If you want to give with your phone, uh, you'll never see the Kate family put anything in the plate because we don't remember. I never have a check, and I never have what I want to put in the plate, but I never have to remember because uh, we signed up online and, and it's done. I just get an email every day, that, every Sunday that it's, um, that it's happened. If you will, um, I'm getting over a um, coughing thing. If you'll forgive uh, if I have to um, drink something or I'm, I'm, I'm thinking... This is escalating. Like the first thing that happened was I got shoes that are outside the normal shoes that I would wear. And then I went away from the white folder for an iPad. And now I got the Starbucks cup. I don't know, what, what do you think the next step is? And me being like the coolest thing that's ever been, right? Right, the coolest thing that's ever been. Look, <laughs> bow tie is a good suggestion. Maybe jeans, maybe untucked shirt, we'll see. Uh, to be determined. Uh, so if y'all forgive me if I have to, um, uh, cough or, or drink that. Uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this space and for all the people that gave so much to make sure that it's set up and ready for your worship. We've all made it here. We've arrived. Help us, Lord, to switch our hearts and minds from uh, traveling here to being here. And as we read a text of forgiveness and as uh, different uh, concerns that we have with being forgiven and forgiving others arise, help us, Lord, to consider them, but to set them aside for a fresh look at a passage of extravagant forgiveness. Help us, Lord, as we gather in your worship service today to honor and glorify you to learn more about ourselves, to learn more about you, and to learn more about one another. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. And let us pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Fascinating text today that could go one of a hundred directions. And the deeper you get in the Gospels, the more the drama rises, the more the tension rises, the more the intensity rises. And Jesus has a sense of urgency that you might see from a parent, from a leader, from a teacher, that we are closing in on our final moments together. And I need you to fully understand some of these significant concepts because I don't see you grasping them and it's getting late. It's getting late for my time with you. Matthew 18, starting with verse 21, the power of forgiveness. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Should I forgive as many as seven times? Jesus said, not just seven times, but rather as many as 77 times. Interesting part there is you look at different versions of the Bible, you'll see another version that says 70 times seven times. So it might be seven, it might be uh, 77, it might be 490, or it might be we're not supposed to stop counting and saying, well, wait now, is it six or is it eight? And if it's eight, how many, how many, have I done it five times? So that means only three more times. Only three more times do I have to forgive. And that's why I put this first phrase. I think this is so perfect because we all do it in different aspects of our life. Fishing for a limited response. If you're going to an engagement with the in-laws and you are the outlaw and you say to your loved one, how long are we going to stay at this thing? And then you toss out a time. 60 minutes? We're going to stay about an hour. We're going to stay about 90 minutes. You're riding over and you're putting a cap on it. You ask the question, hoping you can get a limited response and then you go out and answer the question making sure that they've got a full sense of your um, lack of desire to extend this out. How about weekend corporate retreat? Anybody ever like at work and at work is solid, Monday through Friday, dogging it at work, and the boss says, we're going to do a weekend retreat. And you know you've got to say to your family, we can't be here, and you know that you've got to go up and do trust exercises, and you're riding up and you get there, and you're walking in the room, and... We're already doing a trust exercise. We're doing different names, and it, it's, it's, a, it's an animal. You're an animal. You're not your name. And that animal defines you as a person. And you say, how long are we going to be here? We're going to be here about uh, 24 hours. When, when are we going to go? Fishing for a limited response. Peter asks a question, which is the perfect trigger for any parable. Sometimes people ask it in a very positive way. Some people ask it in a neutral way. Some people ask it in a very negative way. But whatever way they ask it, it always triggers a parable that should inform what they're doing. Peter asks the question, how many times should I forgive? Then answers his own question in front of the person. And then in that answer, limits the number that it could possibly be. And to be fair, Peter might say, I'm not limiting it. Because they might think three. He's thinking three times, you know, I think it's pretty fair. So I'm going to double it plus one. So I think I'm being more than fair in terms of the number of times that I'm going to forgive someone. Same as like doing a tip. 
and say, okay, we ate, it was $41, 10% is $4, I'm just going to double that up, I think 20% is a nice tip, it comes up to like uh, 91 cents, I'm just going to round it up. Good person. He doubles up that number and adds one and thinks that he's done a good thing. Why do humans want to limit things? Why do humans hope for limited responses to the questions that they ask? Because we have finite resources. We have finite patience. We have finite understanding. Am I right? We certainly see it in other people. We see very quickly that other people have limited resources, limited understanding, and limited patience. Now, if you added us all up, all of our skill sets and all of our patience and all of our understanding, we could be a pretty decent human. If we combined us all into one person, we could know a good bit. But by design, humans just can't comprehend a ton. And they want to limit what they take in and what they have to put up with. That's not the problem. The problem is humans consistently put those limitations on both God and Jesus. They say, look, this is all I can process. I'm going to need you to really cut it down, pare it down, make it a simple thing, because I can't handle any more. They don't say, God, look at your majesty. Look at your wonder. I can't even fathom how big you are, and I'm just grateful that it's not me who has to be in charge. The completely negative version of that is, look, I can't get this. You're trying to expand it. I don't want to expand it. I don't want to include anyone else, and I'm going to need you to dial it down a little bit. And we might snicker at our um, uh, potential to do that to God. But believe me, we do it. There's no question you do it to one another, and we, and we do it to God. Forcing limitations upon God and Jesus. Verse 23. Pardon me. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven... It's like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, they brought to him a servant who owed him 10,000 bags of gold. Because the servant didn't have enough money to pay it back, the master ordered that he should be sold along with his wife and children and everything he had and that the proceeds should be used as payment. But the servant fell down, kneeled before him and said, please be patient with me and I'll pay you back. The master had compassion on that servant released him, and forgave the loan. That whole thing is insane. Let's talk about overwhelming debt. That's your next phrase. You ever um, walk off a car lot and say, did I make a good choice? I've known for a fact, walking off the car lot, that I was entirely happy with the choice that I made. And I was entirely happy with what I needed to do in order to sell it settle it but you still wonder you still wonder with that car loan my goodness I'm two years out I'm three years out I'm four years out I'm five years out and it concerns you I'm guessing I had peers graduating seminary I've been in school since kindergarten and I wanted to be done and I sat you know we're standing in line way around the campus from where we were marching and we're talking about what we're going to do. I was 25. I had been in ministry for three years. I knew exactly what I was going to do. And they were saying, what are you going to do? 
I'm going right back to the church I was serving. I just won't have school anymore. I had peers say, you know, I don't know. Golly, you just went like three years of school and student loan debt and everything. You're not certain what you want to do. I'm not making fun of it. I just couldn't fathom it, what it cost me emotionally, uh, physically, and uh, financially in order to attend school. Sometimes you look back and you go, wow, is that the thing I should have done when you have that student loan debt? You ever walk away from a home closing? You know, the seller, I've been both. The seller, like, signs one thing. <laughs> They're just sitting across the table like this. <laughs> the, um, pardon me. The agent's like, if y'all just sign right here. All right, you're good. And with the couple buying, they're like, I need to sign here, and here, and here, initial here, and sign here, and here, and here. And here's what happens if it all defaults, and sign here. And, and I can't imagine that now. We purchased before all that horrificness. And you walk away from that home closing in which you purchased a home, and you're like, you want to go to lunch? No. I'm like, we're eating ramen noodles for the next 10 years. You realize what we just signed up for? <clears throat> no way. None of those compare. Car loan, student loan, home loan. Do not compare to what we just talked about. And those are three of the most crushing things that weigh us down. You know, Dave Ramsey talks about them all the time. And smashing those loans so that we can live a, health, a healthy and faithful life with our resources. They do not touch it. He talks about a debt snowball. He says, I want you to pay off the smallest thing you have. You have $490. Don't pay those other ones near as much. Pay the 490 Now you don't have to pay that payment anymore. Now you're making this second smallest payment. You're applying everything you have into this second payment until you're getting to your car payment. Then you're paying your car payment. Then you're paying your student loan payment. Then your only thing you're paying is your home loan. And the money that you have to start paying it is building up. It's a positive snowball paying off that home loan. That's his thing. That does not apply here. This would be like if you said to um, the four neighborhoods surrounding you, I'm going to take on your mortgages. And then the bank came to you one day and said, we need every bit of money for every mortgage in the four neighborhoods surrounding you. What would one say? <laughs> What's fascinating is he says, just give me a little time. If you had a little bit more time, could you pay every mortgage in the four neighborhoods surrounding you? Mm -mm. That is infinitely a part of the human spirit to say, I can make it up. I can make up the difference and figure it out. He says, be patient with me and I will pay. And I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you were trying to pay something back the best you possibly could and maybe you didn't fight the best you possibly could and now you're thinking, I've really got delay into this because this person or this um, group or this bank or this whatever relative, it's got to be intense now and you're saying, please be patient with me as I pay it back. It's not a, it's not a happy feeling. It's a very dark feeling. But humans have infinite hope in their ability to get out of a jam. He says, just be patient and I'll figure it out. I think there's one element 
of human life in which we don't think we can get out of a jam. And that has to do with relationships that are broken in our life. When we think that something is so bad, we're so angry, or we have angered someone to the point that we cannot fix it, that thing, every bit like a loan, will gain interest over time. And the longer the space goes, the more you think, oh, I'm not dealing with that today. You feel that thing getting bigger. And you think, there's no way I can fix this relationship. And so while Peter says a very limited question with a very limited answer, Jesus responds with a story that's so beyond comprehension in terms of a financial number that it almost has to be a metaphor for brokenness in humanity, brokenness with one another, in our relation to one another, and in our relation to God. And for some reason, that king forgives the debt. What if you heard that something you had done or something you owed was immediately forgiven? Like legit forgiven, not like when somebody says, oh yeah, I'll forgive, but I don't forget. I mean, that's not getting any better from that point. But someone truly says, I forgive you from something that is truly broken. There's no price for that. For that feeling that it's going to be okay. Verse 28. When that servant went out, the one who was forgiven the debt, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 coins. He grabbed him around the throat and said, pay me back what you owe me. Then his fellow servant fell down and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he threw him into prison until he paid back his debt. That's harsh. Um, debtor's prison, I guess, is um, a life sentence. How are you ever going to earn any money? And how do you compare the amount that the first man owed to the amount that the second man owed? You cannot. 100 days wages for a person that doesn't make all that much. 100 days wages versus more than our nation has at the time, in terms of Jesus' time. And in that moment, he has your next phrase, incredible power. Why? Well, only now with no debt can he forgive that debt. Imagine if he's walking out of that space with that lender, that king, who just said, I'm going to need you to give me every amount, and he runs into a man that owes him money. Here's the first chance I've got to get a little money back so that I can then give him a little bit of money and maybe buy a week in my life. The only reason he has any possibility of forgiving the debt to the man on the stairs is because he's been forgiven a debt. What causes him not to? Is he embarrassed? You ever have to publicly apologize to a person in front of everyone else? That feeling, that sense 
is magnified by maybe a hundred. Because you picture this man going down on his knees and weeping and crying, fearing for his very life in front of everyone, everyone that he's going to see again. And in that moment, being forgiven, he walks out and he's thinking, I can't believe that. It's kind of a mixture. I can't believe I did that in front of everyone and I can't believe that I'm forgiven that debt. I'm thinking embarrassment has got to be at least a little bit of it. You want to know another one I'm wondering? Intoxicated with the feeling of another man begging for his forgiveness. See, there's a uh, certain sort of leverage that you have over another individual when they feel like they've slighted you in a very small or very big way. And you can use that leverage a couple hours, a couple weeks, couple years, making sure that they know that they let you down to a level that they're going to have to earn it back. And you can do that long enough to where the two of you figure this is sort of a standing thing, that this person owes me and is going to have to figure it out. You realize how much friendlier you get? Forget about um, some sort of mistake. If you want to go out someplace and it's going to cost you money or it's going to cost your family money or it's going to cost your spouse doing time or it's going to cost your coworker doing a little extra work, all of a sudden you're a little more chipper. You're a little more friendly. You're picking things up a little faster, maybe emptying the dishwasher, maybe running the dishwasher. And you're running around making sure everything's clean because I'm hoping to go on this thing. Hopefully nobody will be upset. Magnify that by I've truly let this individual down or I've let this group down. And that person, I know that you've experienced it. You've either done it, or it's been done to you, or you've witnessed it, or all three. Someone who has felt slighted holds it over another person for an extended amount of time, and they're intoxicated with the feeling that they get by holding it over that person. So if you get embarrassment and intoxication... You've got a pretty nightmarish combination for doing something horrific, which is what that man did. Walking down the steps and choking a man and throwing him in prison. What's your recipe for failure in terms of forgiveness? What are the components that have to come together to cause you to go, mm-mm, no, sir? Verse 31. When his fellow servants saw what happened, they were deeply offended. They came and told their master all that happened. His master called the first servant and said, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that you did because you appealed to me. Shouldn't you also have mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had mercy on you? His master was furious and handed him over to the guard responsible for punishing prisoners until he had paid the whole debt. My heavenly Father will do the same to you if you don't forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Whoa. Last phrase. Ferocious response. The servants, fellow servants who saw it happen. This is the most vicious version of I'm telling that's ever happened. They all saw him weeping 
What do you want to bet? They thought, man, I'm glad that's not me. You ever see somebody do something really stupid and embarrassing or whatever, and you go, mm-mm, whoa, whoa. They saw it happen. Then they saw him walk down the stairs. Then they saw him choke a man. And then they said those two famous words that invoke fear down the spine of a person, I'm telling. Uh, It's been done to me as a kid. You're just like, I I can't fathom. I've seen the child come wherever, in whatever setting I'm in and seeing the child come and you know, oh, I know what's going on here. This child is coming to tell me that something happened and someone was at fault. And you can see the other one trailing a good 17 yards back and they're like, "Mm -hmm." I'm telling is what they say. The king is one and done. One and done. Now that one's pretty significant. He forgave a debt that we cannot fathom. But one and done. Which runs entirely counter to what started this whole thing, which is Peter saying, how many times do I have to forgive? And Jesus says, uh, either, either 70 77 or 490, and then he tells this story where a king goes, one and done. You go, what are we supposed to do with that? Heavenly Father is saying, figure it out. We're in chapter 18. It's starting to get intense. We're about to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to need you to respond. This is a text that churches who really lay into people in order to get a response would say, all of you are getting it wrong who say it's about love and it's about grace, it's about mercy. It's there, but y'all do that too much. You talk about love and grace and mercy 49 times out of 52. You need to be laying into people and saying, if you can't figure it out, there's going to be trouble. And they have a point. He says, my heavenly Father will do the same thing to you if you can't figure it out. You ever think about that? You ever ponder such a thing when you're wondering whether you're going to forgive another person? Well, I do remember Matthew 18, verse 31. You ever do that? You might do it now. How do we get here? A human being with very limited resources asked a question and answered it with a very limited response. There was unlimited pride on the part of every human involved in the story. And when pride overwhelms you, and you feel like you're do something, it sends you down a road of turning on people and not offering forgiveness in the way that it was offered you. And then judgment. So people are quick if there's a king to say it's either Jesus or God. You know, whatever authority is God in this story. But I think there's plenty of times in which Jesus tells a story that talks about human brokenness and man, it went every direction in this story so that we could witness five different ways that we are unwilling to forgive in whatever portion of that story that we're in because we'll find ourselves in every part in that play. And when we ask ourselves, how many times are we supposed to forgive? It seems like it's a lot because we've been forgiven. We're supposed to have patience. We're supposed to have mercy. We're supposed to reach out to people and risk something because that's what Jesus is calling us to do. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. If you'll join me in our modern affirmation.
We believe in God the Father, infinite in wisdom, power, and love, whose mercy is over all his works and whose will is directed to his children's good. We believe in Jesus Christ, Son of God and Son of Man, the gift of the Father's unfailing grace, the ground of our hope, and the promise of God fulfilled. We believe in the Holy Spirit as a divine presence in our lives, reminding us always of the truth of Christ, our inspiration and strength in times of joy and sorrow. We believe our faith should be apparent in our words of love and acts of service, that the kingdom of God may be a present reality here on earth. You may be seated. It's now time for our offering, and you can give in the ways that I described that are in the back of your bulletin.
Would you stand and sing this last one with us? those they'll be at 10 o'clock uh, with me in October and November go forth in peace forgiveness knowing that our God loves you provides you opportunity hope and peace so that you may go and share those with others amen don't you know I tell you still, don't you know I've always loved you, and I always will.